This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Las Vegas. And I'm Kellen Walker, also in Las Vegas. Today on the show, non-union Toyota gives U.S. workers a pay raise. We'll talk about the latest sales results, and Cox Automotive whittles its brand offerings way down. And Penske Automotive Group CFO Shelly Holgrave talks about the company's diversification strategy, including its successful commercial truck dealership business. It's a joke within our within our company, but trucks mean spots, and it's, uh, it's a very profitable business for us as well. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota Motor North America is raising hourly wages for its U.S. manufacturing, distribution center, and logistics employees for the third time this year. The company is upping the top wage to $34.80 per hour. It's also cutting the number of years to reach that wage and boosting paid time off for all employees. The increase goes into effect January 1st. Toyota made the announcement just over a month after Toyota raised wages 25 cents an hour to 31.86 for its production workers, which started September 25th. The nearly $3 raise, the third pay boost announced this year, is unusual. The Japanese automaker typically increases wages twice a year. The raise amounts to a 9.2% increase for top-tier hourly employees above the wages Toyota put into effect in September. It also comes as UAW-represented auto workers with the Detroit 3 prepared to vote on contracts that would raise their wages 25% over four years. Toyota is recalling more than 1.8 million RAV4 vehicles in the U.S. because of a sizing issue with the replacement 12-volt batteries that could cause a fire risk. The recall covers certain RAV4 compact crossovers from the 2013 through 2018 model years. About 306,000 additional vehicles are affected in Canada and Mexico. A spokesperson declined to comment on whether the automaker was aware of any injuries, accidents, deaths, or fires. To fix the issue, dealers will replace the battery hold-down clamp, tray, and positive terminal cover with improved parts. Vehicle owners will be notified by late December. Meanwhile, Toyota sales rose 4.5% in the U.S. in October, Volume rose almost 2% for the Toyota brand and 25% at Lexus last month. Ford's October U.S. sales slipped more than 5% behind declines at both the Ford and Lincoln brands, snapping the automaker's streak of 10 consecutive monthly gains. Ford brand sales dropped 5.2% and Lincoln fell 4.5%. It's a fresh sign the overall market is cooling and could also be a symptom of the prolonged UAW strike. Honda saw U.S. sales rise 33% in October. The Honda brand was up 34% and Acura jumped 22%. Subaru extended its sales streak to 15 months with October volume rising 11%. That was behind gains at the brand's top three sellers, 
Outback, Forester, and Crosstrek. Mazda was an outlier among the Japanese brands, with October volume sliding more than 7%. That snaps a 12-month streak of gains at Mazda. And Cox Automotive, the corporate umbrella for a whopping 60 brands, is streamlining that number to 13. It's part of a broader effort to simplify the sales, customer support, and product options it presents to customers. The company says iconic divisions, such as online automobile platform, AutoTrader, and Kelly Blue Book, will retain their independent identity, serving as anchors for the rest of the streamlined portfolio. The other 11, including dealership marketing platform, Dealer.com, DMS company, DealerTrack, auto auction business, Mannheim, and inventory finance company, Next Gear Capital, will have a Buy Cox Automotive endorsement on their logos. The remaining 47 brands not highlighted in the streamlining effort will be presented as products or capabilities offered among the 13 units. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Toyota North America raises hourly wages for its manufacturing distribution center. Now, I don't want to ask you the obvious, but is this how you prevent the UAW from showing up at your doorstep? Yeah, no doubt. As our colleague Larry Veliquet likes to say, if you don't want to have a union, you should act like you already have a union. This is exactly what Toyota's strategy appears to be. You know, we're seeing the UAW get big raises, starting with 10% raises right now. If you're offering a 9% raise on top of a little raise before, probably comes out about even and certainly close enough that maybe not a lot of uh, employees would want to organize with the UAW and have to pay dues. It sort of splits the difference, at least gets them close enough. Certainly been their strategy over the years. It's not that they say they don't want to have a union, but they say they prefer to communicate directly with their employees. Uh, they just soon keep the union out, and this is the way they can buy labor peace without having a negotiation. Got it. Makes sense. Coming up, we'll hear Jamie's conversation with Penske Automotive Group CFO Shelly Hallgrave. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here, and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. 
from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lane, GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Last week, Automotive News hosted its retail forum in Chicago. We spoke with dealers about all of the pressing issues and concerns in the automotive retail space. Penske Automotive Group CFO Shelley Holgrave was one of our keynote speakers. I spoke with her on stage about the company's portfolio, how it sees emerging technologies such as AI affecting the business, and much more. Here's a piece of our conversation. What's uh, Penske Automotive Group's thoughts on acquisitions heading into the coming year? There's a lot of opportunity. We mentioned on the call we've got about $2.5 in the pipeline that is under consideration. You know, high multiples, they're still there. And they're not only high multiples just in general, but they're high multiples on these record years. So we're being very thoughtful, very disciplined in terms of what we acquire and what we go after. We just acquired a BMW and a Porsche dealership in Wilmington, North Carolina. So it's a new market for us. We're excited about that. But it really has to be the right fit. It has to fold into our existing administrative structure that we've got because these multiples. And, and that's why you really see the, the trade-off. Many quarters will talk about repurchasing shares. Roger touched on the call yesterday. Everyone had heard the news about our interest in Pendragon. So we paused on that a little bit because that would have been a pricey one. But it's really comparing, you know, at the end of the day, your PE multiple and, and ours is one of the higher in the group at eight, nine versus what you're going to pay in the market. And when multiples are nine, 10, they got up to 12. Based on these record years, you got to think long and hard about it because you might end up paying for it in the future. Yeah. It's been such a hot market and it just doesn't appear to be cooling down. No. So um, you see, well, you mentioned this was a new geography, a new market. It's mostly you're still looking at the same types of brands, same brand strategy. We are very committed to our brand strategy. These are premium luxury, uh, which is over 70% of our business is premium luxury. In the UK, it's over 90%. So, you know, we have felt and, you know, throughout different periods of, you know, our economic state, wherever we happen to be today, that customer seems to be a bit more cushioned and less represented in terms of the number of dealerships that are out there. So it's about working smarter, not harder. <laughs> Uh, what is the UK market like now? Uh, how has it been performing and, and what are your expectations going forward as, you know, as more of your peers uh, seem to be looking eastward? Yeah, it's um, the UK is great and it, and it has been really strong for us for a long time. And if you listen to our calls or read our, our articles, we, we talk a lot about diversification. You know, at, at first and when we first started, I first started in the business, we were all retail automotive, but we were international in mostly in the UK and here in the US and really quite rare for a while. Group one was the only other peer group that was in the UK. So when you go back to 08, 09, sometimes they would have great years and sometimes, you know, then we would struggle and, and vice versa. And, and so that diversification acted as a hedge 
uh, the last couple of years, we've, you know, we've been running on all cylinders and, and the results has been amazing. We are starting to see some pullback a bit in the UK, particularly in the used car market. So like we use Kelly Blue Book to value used cars, they use something called CAP and, and CAP has seen about a 2% decline uh, month after month since about May. So a bit of a struggle with the used car market. You know, economically, yes, we are we are cushioned uh, somewhat in that we're very heavy in the luxury automotive sector. But unlike here, you know, you might have a 30-year or a 15-year fixed mortgage. Over there, it's uh, more common to have a two or three max five-year mortgage. Wow. So I was over there the last time they reported inflation. And they estimated that, you know, 6 million people are going to have to refi their mortgage and it's going to be about 800 pounds more a month to their mortgage payment. And so when cars come in at the second biggest purchase that somebody makes, you know, they do have to make some choices there. So, but still a lot of bright things, uh, a lot of opportunity there and, you know, we get to experience agency and it's a question that we hear over and over again, you know, this direct to consumer and, you know, what is at the end of the dealership and, and is this going away? And, and our experience is quite the opposite. Can you articulate for us, I mean, what is the dealer's role in uh, an agency model? How does it, and I mean, how does it differ from the U.S. model where you know, you're buying the inventory and pricing it yourselves? Yeah, so it's, it's about fixed pricing. And as of right now, it, it only affects the new car market. Mm -hmm. So our used cars operate exactly the same. Uh, our service operates exactly the same. But as a consumer, you would go onto a Mercedes website, pick out the car that you want, and instead of dealing with the inventory that's on the lot for that particular dealership, you have access to the inventory of the whole Mercedes market. So there is more inventory available to you as a consumer, but it's a fixed price. Mm -hmm. So no longer are you shopping to save 100 pounds or 200 pounds a month based on who's going to price what. You've got a fixed price, and, and the customers have adjusted to that quite well. What it did for us, we made a large Mercedes acquisition last year of five stores in the London market. What agency does is it directs you to a store within your postcode. And it used to be about 60% of you would stick in your postcode. You may shop out, outside of that. And that has bumped into the high 90s. So having us buy into a high populated market like West London, you know, we're able to get 98% of those customers when maybe we would have only gotten 60 in the past. So hmm. it's Mercedes has been a great partner. We've talked about it. At one point in the first quarter, they've made enough adjustments. They had made over 300 adjustments. And, you know, OEMs aren't known for making uh, a lot of decisions very quickly. And, and it's really nice to see that they've acted as a partner with us. Like you said, you know, years ago, you had U.S. and U.K., but now you're in several other markets. You're in other business lines. Yeah. How do you see the growth going in the future? Will it be more building out those newer lines? Is it? Are you seeking other countries to uh, invest in? Yeah. So we talked about multiples, right, with the acquisition. The truck multiples. So we operate commercial truck dealerships as well. We have 44 of them in the U.S. and Canada for the Freightliner brand. And multiples on the trucking side are a lot lower. They don't have the CI requirements that a lot of us pay millions of dollars to get everybody looking the same and, and up to those standards. So there is a, a bit of a cheaper multiple there. There's also a cheaper multiple 
in the UK and in Europe because you don't have those franchise law protection and, and that's why they're able to start with agency the way they are, but we just see it as, as more sandboxes. So when the luxury car market in the UK or in the US, excuse me, was 10 or 12, we chose to invest more heavily in the UK. We made that Mercedes acquisition last year. We bought some BMW stores and those multiples were below that PE ratio that I talked about. Uh, truck is the same way. Those are, are typically lower, but it's a bit different in that, I mean, we sell new and used and we service trucks just like you would in a, in a car dealership, uh, but the service component is so much more and it's actually about 60% of our total gross profit. Wow. So it's a joke within our within our company, but trucks means bucks, and it's uh, it's a very profitable business for us as well. And then we have our investment in Penske truck leasing. Um, many of the cars that you see on the road, I know I can't go to a Starbucks without seeing a Penske truck delivering milk, and it's not just the yellow cars that you might rent to move, you know, from house to house. But the biggest portion of that business is commercial lending. And they also have some logistics business as well. So uh, a lot of synergies between our car market. It helps overall when we've got a, a great concentration with Freightliner mm. from a buying power perspective. So really to answer your question, it's about opportunity. Sometimes it's about hedging uh, if one of those sectors, you know, isn't performing the way that uh, others are, but it's really about synergies and, and it's all about transportation. Shelly Holgrave is CFO of Penske Automotive Group. I spoke with her at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. We'll be hosting another Retail Forum event February 1st in Las Vegas ahead of the 2024 NADA show. You can register now at autonews.com under the Events and Awards tab. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Larry Valquette, David Phillips, Audrey LaForest, Mark Homer, and Gail Howe for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, October sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about how generative AI is affecting the auto dealership, F&I, and lending compliance environments. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.